0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Chasing Poker Greatness Podcast. Before I get into today's show, I would like to talk to you about my Bluffing Masterclass that's happening this Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Whether you're a semi-professional or a professional battling in the online streets or a recreational player going to war in their local home game or on their local home game app, it is absolutely essential that you learn how to bluff effectively and efficiently. The difference between a bluff gone wrong, a bluff gone right, or a missed bluff can be the difference between a winning and losing session. And it's an area of poker that I feel like folks just don't spend enough time learning how to manage their bluffs effectively. So this Saturday, check out my Bluffing Masterclass, where I'll talk about the Law of Fragility that will guide you into making clear, efficient, good decisions on whether or not you should be exerting pressure on your opponents when you can realize a lot of fold equity and win some pots that you otherwise might not be able to win. You can grab the Bluffing Masterclass at ChasingPokerGreatness.com. It's right there on the You can click through my Twitter link, or once again, it's chasingpokergreatness.com. Check it out. And now we're going to head into the show. Today's theme is Phil Ivy Day. He's the greatest poker player of all time, so it only seems appropriate that on Hero Bluff Week, we have a full day dedicated to Phil Ivey. We're going to cover two hands, one where he battles Mr. Tom Dwan, and another that happened way back in 2005 that has become just one of the quintessential poker bluffs of all time. Without any further ado, let's jump into today's show. All right, welcome back to Hero Bluff Week. Today is Phil Ivy day. Going to break down a couple of classic Phil Ivy hands. Thomas, how are you doing, sir? Doing great. Looking forward to digging through these mess of hands. Looking at the goat, breaking down the goat's thought process in a couple of the more interesting hands he's played on television over the last few decades. Funnily enough, I don't exactly know the blinds for this hand. It was on high stakes poker. They didn't post the blinds. There's a lot of straddles going on. All I know is that Phil Locke opens with ace-nine offsuit from the hijack. Ellie Elezra calls in the cutoff with ace-seven of clubs. Mr. Ivy calls on the button with the ace-six of diamonds. Mr. Negranu, it's funny, we're like a million way action already. Mr. Negranu thinks about it, decides to call from the small blind with a jack and a three, both clubs. There's 17.6K in the pot. Let's break down these decisions before we get to Mr. Dwan and the big blind. First of all, how do we feel about the open and the hijack with A sign off? I, I think it's just a hair too wide,
1: especially in a game that trends to have too many people calling. I just don't see you making any money with this hand uh, when it goes five ways or four ways or what have you. Just good luck on an ace high flop, good luck on a nine high flop. And those are
0: best case scenarios. I agree. Next we have Ellie Lesra with the ace of clubs, seven of clubs, flatting in the cutoff. How do you feel about that?
1: So I I don't blame him for calling here, especially back in the day. It seems like a hand that is really good to call and keep everyone in. Maybe you can flush over flush someone. Uh, That being said, I think there's more value in just going ahead and three betting it, getting position for the rest of the hand, uh, keeping your range uncapped, and just able to put a lot of pressure
0: on your opponent from the get-go. You also don't build a pot for the blinds to squeeze, which, spoiler alert, is going to be an issue in this pot. And now we have Ivy who flats on the button with the Ace of Diamonds, Six of Diamonds. What do we think about this Overcall? I think it's the
1: exact same thought as Eli Elezra. I don't fault him for it. It seems fine. But again, squeezing with the dead money is
0: just going to be better. Especially if you know that Unibombers opening so wide, like with a hand like A Stein off. Really lean on your reads of your opponents in spots like this. Like, how wide are they opening from the hijack? And can I realize fold equity by squeezing on the button? I think these are, this is really the North Star that's guiding you in these spots on these decisions to go along with how insane are the blinds? Am I likely to get squeezed out and not see a flop? Like. If there's a high likelihood you're going to get squeezed out from the blinds, then you should opt to three bet here with the A six. It's just going to play much more smoothly, going to have much easier decisions. If you get cold four bet, you get cold four bet. If Phil Lock four bets us, we have an easy fold with an ace and a six of different suits. Really, no harm, no foul. So I'm with you. I think we should just go ahead and three bet. But Ivy goes ahead and calls. And disclaimer. Alert! You know this was about 15 years ago, where strategy wasn't exactly where it is nowadays. Daniel Negranyu, the final question, <laughs> flatting from the small blind with his Jack of Clubs, Three of Clubs. What are our thoughts on this,
1: Brad? I, I don't think your listeners need me to to break down <laughs> that
0: one. Uh. <laughs> I, I think it's important though to at least say like this is just not a winning poker play for folks that maybe look back on high stakes poker and don't really realize how the game's evolved over the years. This hand is just not good enough to call. Do not model your strategy on decisions like this. I would say that it would be a lot easier to justify a big squeeze with jack three of clubs than calling out of position. In a best case scenario, we're taking a flop like four ways out of position with a jack and a three. Just not very fun.
1: I think, I think there is one very important point that your listeners can probably learn a lot from, is that even in the big blind, if, if the action had gone the same way, this hand still is not good enough to call. It's going to have a lot of reverse implied odds four ways. So even though you're getting a million to one on a call, it's just not going to make the cut, even in the big blind where you're closing the action.
0: Reverse implied odds. Can we break that down real quick? Right, so the idea is
1: that, let's say there's an ace-jack three-flop, we flop two-pair, great, we want to put all the money in, uh, we're just going to get coolered by ace-jack a decent percentage of the time, or uh, let's say we flop a flush, return a flush, our flush is medium-strength, multi-way, it's very plausible someone has a better flush than us uh, when we get there, and then we just get stacked.
0: And jack-high flops, like jack-high boards are... Or- especially troublesome because we don't really know how to continue on like jack deuce four, right? Where we just flop top pair and somebody bets six ways. It's like, Oh, okay, cool. We flop top pair. And now we probably ought to just outright fold this to one bet on the flop. Never a good feeling when you flop super high up in your range and just feel like you want to ditch your hand to one bet. Thankfully for Mr. Negreanu, he doesn't have to deal with any of these problems because in the big blind, we have one Tom Durr-Dwan, who's about 750K deep. The other relevant stack is Phil Ivy, who's sitting on a million. So he's got Durr covered. Tom Dwan squeezes to 28.9K with about 17.6K in the pot. How do we feel about this sizing of Tom Dwan's squeeze?
1: So I, I think the sizing is actually quite good with this many callers. I was trying to work it out earlier. Uh, so if there had been or an open and a call, I probably would have made it about 20. And then we've got a couple more callers on top of that. I think 28, 29K is fine. Um, I absolutely love his decision to squeeze here. Uh, it's just a really good spot when. The original opener is too wide. Ace-9 offsuit is actually probably one of the better hands that he opened from the hijack. I suspect he was a lot wider than this even. Uh, and then everyone behind caps the range quite heavily. So there's a lot of dead money. And especially if you get through Phil Locke, the hand's going to be relatively easy to play as the aggressor. It's just going to
0: be hard for anyone else to call down. I agree. And for the record, Tom Dwan has the eight, nine of spades. So it's a hand that conceivably, you know, we could call, close the action, take a multi-way flop. It's a good multi-way hand. That's not Tom Dwan's style though, especially circa 2009 or 2010, whenever this hand went down. So Tom Dwan squeezes it, raises it up. Phil Locke obviously folds Ellie Leser folds, and now Phil Ivy goes ahead and puts in the extra 25k with an Ace Six of Diamonds. Negranu mercifully folds from the small blind. What do we think about Ivy here, flatting Duan squeeze?
1: So it, it's kind of tricky. In theory, they're both very deep, so maybe you can just make this call. You're going to be in position for the rest of the hand. the The real problem's going to arise post flop in. Your range is super capped. Uh, There's no way Ivy was going to be flatting ace-king or ace-queen or better here. Uh, There's just going to be a lot of boards where you're going to be in really rough spots, especially versus a play like Tom Duan, who can leverage leverage his stack against you very effectively.
0: Right, and I I do think it's important to note, and I'm not exactly sure on high-stakes poker because they can cut out a lot of the dead time where folks are considering – one action or another, but if you're playing in a live game, it's important to note here how long Phil Ivey took to call the initial raise. Did he consider three betting? This is going to give you clues as to the strength of this player's hand and this player's spot. If he just snap called it, that's one thing. If he thought for, you know, a good 10 or 15 seconds, that's going to be indicative of something else, maybe a more, Maybe a hand that could go either way, right? Like a king-queen off, an ace-jack off, something like that, where either option is is viable, so there's a decision to be made. Uh, with Versus a snap call, it's just an obvious hand that they're going to call an open raise with. We look at pocket pairs, um, suited connectors, suited aces, hands like that. So anyway, Tom Dwan makes a squeeze. Ivy decides to flat with his ace of diamonds, six of diamonds. We take a flop of king of diamonds, queen of clubs, 10 of diamonds. So Ivy gets pretty much his gin, right? He gets enough flush draw with a gutter ball. Tom Dwan gets his gin and that he can rep the world. And there's really not much Ivy can do about it. So now Tom DeWan starts out by betting 45.8K into about 73K. What are your thoughts on this sizing?
1: I think the sizing is is fine. I think one key thing we don't want to do here is we don't want to bet too large so that we're representing a, a very narrow range, and we're also narrowing Ivy's range on the flop. So I, I want somewhere in the smaller, somewhere in the 35 to 60% pot range. I don't really want to see much bigger than that here. Uh, and if I'm Tom Dwan, I'm I'm looking to barrel off a lot of hands on most runouts. This board's just so good for us compared to uh, Phil Ivey. Uh It's even, even a basically no equity hand, like nine, eight suited. It's just going to be so difficult for, ivy to call down with most of his range
0: yeah it's just a board that smashes tom Dwan doesn't hit ivy super hard i'm with you and one thing that i'd like to add on Dwan's sizing on the flop when you're considering sizing in a spot like this a bloated three bet pot and maybe you don't have very much or maybe you do have the nuts a set two pair or something like that you just want to choose the sizing with your bluffs that you would choose with your value because it gives you more credibility. It gives you more repability. You want to keep everything even. So I like Tom Duan's sizing. I think it's great. And now we're on Ivy with his nut flush draw. What do you think Ivy should do? Should he ever be raising here? Should he just be flatting? We have a ton of depth. I, I don't
1: think that he should really ever be raising here. Um, by raising, we're giving Tom Duan a chance to uh, fold his bluffs already that we are ahead of. We've got the opportunity to flush over flush, calling down, and his strong hands are just never going to fold. So I, I don't I don't think there's a ton of merit for going ahead and raising this particular hand here, especially not on a board that
0: really heavily favors uh, Tom Duan. I mean, another good point is that... Dwan can rep the flush. If we have a lot of pair plus gutter type hands and we're Phil Ivy, then Tom Dwan can turn some hands into bluffs and rep the flush whenever the flush comes in, just because we don't have a ton of flushes in our range as Phil Ivy. So I think that's gives more merit to flatting the flop and taking a turn, which Ivy of course does. And now we get a little blank, the three of spades Now the action is on Tom Dwan. He bets 123K into 162K. What do we think of that sizing? So I I
1: think this sizing, he can still value bet a hand like King Jack at, which is kind of nice to not narrow our value range. That being said, being super deep, I I would want to start threatening stacks uh, with my bet size on the turn. And I don't know if this sizing is going to do that because it looks like they started the hand about 750,000 deep. Um, So I I think that I would probably bet pot here. I think that's more important than allowing us to continue to bet with a hand like King Jack at that size. I think there's still so many strong hands that we have that can take that size. So I I prefer a little bit bigger here.
0: I don't know if Duan really has King Jack in his range using this sizing. I don't think King Jack is a hand that you need to size up this big. With, I think it's more likely if you're going to take a single pair, maybe ace king, maybe you size up here on the turn. More likely, king queen, king 10, queen 10, sets of kings, queens, and tens, and then your ace jack. I mean, that's plenty value enough for our value range that uh, I think he's cool with betting this size with all of those hands. And maybe choosing a smaller sizing with a hand that, like King Jack, where he's likely got some domination versus Jack Ten and Queen Jack, those type of hands.
1: Yeah, maybe including like nut flush draws in that sizing also, and then taking some of your no equity bluffs and putting them in this combination
0: or in this this range. Yeah, the eight nine, for instance, is one of these yeah. one of these low equity type bluffs. It begs the question though: if he's betting the eight nine, is Tom Dwan? bombing off all of his bricks here all of his just nothings i suspect so and i think it's a good strategy uh
1: even though it seems insane to say that but it's just his range is so much stronger than phil ivy's here it's i don't think that phil ivy is going to be capable of defending enough for him to not just profit bluffing
0: everything it's really hard, right? This is what happens when we sort of cap our range pre-flop and we get an unfavorable board against a player like Tom Duan. He's just going to punish us. And Ivy actually has one of the absolute best hands he can possibly have where he has some outs to make the nuts. And so Ivy does go ahead and call the turn. I think that this is not really a questionable call. I think he just really has to call with this hand. It's like the best hand that he can call on the turn with. I absolutely agree. So we head to a river. We get the Six of Clubs. So Phil Ivy Rivers, one of his outs that he doesn't really need because he has the best hand anyway. He makes a pair of sixes. There's $408,000 in the pot. These pots on high stakes poker, they get pretty big pretty fast, huh? <laughs> Yeah, it's a little scary looking at these numbers. I can't imagine <laughs> playing poker for these stakes. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty insane. 408,000 in the pot. Duan bets 268. What do we think of this sizing? First of all, second of all, we'll talk about Ivy and his decision. It's it's kind of an interesting
1: sizing. I I think it's fine. But again, I think you have so many really strong hands that I don't see why you can't get away with just going absolutely ginormous here, and I don't know exactly how much money is behind at this point, but I I would be tempted for Tom Dwan to potentially just go all in, uh, even even if it's like a pot and a half over bet.
0: He's got about two two eighty left, so he he starts this river with about, about five fifty.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I prefer just going all in then. Uh, I think he has enough really strong hands. There's just not gonna be much Bill Ivy can do. Uh, and we are gonna lose a little bit more money with this exact hand when Phil Ivy does somehow have King Queen or King Ten and didn't raise it off earlier. But you have so many strong hands that are going to get additional value by going all in here when uh Phil Ivy does have like King Ten or something like that that I think an all in size is better.
0: I actually disagree. I like the smaller size because Going back to what I said earlier, we, we need to make a size that makes sense for our value range versus Phil Ivey's perceived range because Phil Ivey's perceived range right now is pretty much dog shit. He doesn't have any value hands in his range. He's got a lot of marginal type hands. So why do we, why are we targeting those hands with a massive river bet? I think that looks a little bit bluffier to me. And I think you realize maybe even more fold equity by sizing down and not sticking it all in the middle. But with that said, Ivy pretty instantly asks Duan how much he has left. I think this is a little window into how Phil Ivy thinks. He wants to get a reaction, right? Like It's a question that Tom Duan is not expecting. This this is a completely out-of-left field. You would not, if you're Tom Duan, you would not think that your opponent is even considering jamming here. So trying to catch Tom Duan off guard, trying to get a little bit of information where maybe he can you know put on his hero cape and make a sick call. Dwan doesn't really give away too much. Just your typical Tom Dwan, you know, 280, 280 left, and then he just stares at the board for like the next five, <laughs> five minutes. Ivy does tank for five <laughs> minutes, though, which makes me believe that he knows Tom Dwan is capable. He understands the situation very, very well, obviously, that this board is just crushing for Tom Dwan he likely doesn't have any calls in his range and he knows that Tom Dwan's very capable of exploiting that fact do you think Phil Ivey could ever call here I personally do not uh,
1: even with all all of the factors that you suggested even if he's really really wide here he just has so many value combos especially like you suggested him using the the smaller sizing where he can now value about a wider range. He just has so many combinations of strong hands at this point uh, that even if he were to squeeze every single suited connector and barrel off on them, I'm not sure. It would probably be a really close decision on whether Ivy's getting a sufficient price to call. So I I just don't think it's possible. I think that the, the issue here is stemming from pre-flop. If, if, he had, if he had squeezed pre-flop, uh, he wouldn't have ever gotten himself into this sort of predicament. Um, and that's one of the big leaks
0: with just calling on the button there. I agree. It's an issue of compounding mistakes where Dewan's leveraging the board in his range versus a capped range. And, you know, Ivy just can't do anything about it. And sometimes that's poker. And really, the goal is to avoid these types of situations, even when you're Phil Ivy. Even when you're one of the best players in the world, you want to avoid getting yourself in these spots where people can just exploit the living bejesus out of you on boards like this just because we don't have any great value hands in our range. So Tom Dwan one, Phil Ivy zero. On Phil Ivy day of all days. Coming up after the break, we're going to review a hand that quite frankly, I'm not sure what the hell was going on, but I'm going to give my best effort in reviewing it and sharing it it's one of the hands that you know made phil ivy phil ivy so stay tuned you don't want to miss it i want you to imagine that you're playing in your local home game the blinds are one two you're sitting with two hundred dollars deep the cutoff and aggressive player opens to six dollars and you look down an ace king offsuit from the small blind you raise it up to 25 dollars because you know that you have a range advantage versus this aggressive player the big blind folds and then the cutoff calls the flop is 10 7 deuce so we only have ace high we missed the board but we still want to put in a continuation bet so we bet 20 dollars and our opponent unfortunately calls the turn is an offsuit eight so there's no flush draw and now we're at a decision point we have 150 left there's $90 in the pot. Do you continue exerting pressure or do you check and give up? Knowing which direction to take is the heart of my bluffing masterclass that happens this Saturday. For a $50 investment, you get knowledge that lasts you a lifetime. Making better decisions in just one spot like this haze for the bluffing masterclass over and over and over again so if this is a spot that you struggle with that you would like to gain clarity have a clear methodology on whether or not you should continue betting, check out chasingpokergreatness.com hop in the bluffing masterclass and i'll see you on saturday welcome back to hand number two on phil ivy day hero bluff week thomas today's hand is at the 2005 Monte Carlo millions. We are heads up. Phil Ivy is the overwhelming chip leader. He starts the hand with about 4 million chips. Paul action. Jackson is heads up with Ivy here. Looking at Paul action. Jackson's Hinden mom, Hinden mom, Hinden mob. He's got a number of first place wins. This was smaller tournaments. This Tournament was by far his biggest cash of his career, though. He is a pro. Just want to give some backstory before we jump into this pretty ridiculous hand. So, like I said, Jackson starts with 1 million. Blinds are 12K, 24K. So, Jackson still has a respectable 40-bay blinds left. He limps the button with a five of diamonds, six of spades. Ivy goes ahead and raises it up with queen eight of hearts. Any thoughts on the preflop play so far?
1: So there's two, two strategies that uh, players like employing heads up. Uh, some people only have a raise first end strategy and uh, being heads up, I think six, five offsuit is still good enough to raise. Uh, but if you want to have a limping range, it seems like a good candidate to include. And with the, The the blinds uh, being a larger portion relative to your stack, such as in the case in a tournament, it seems fine again. Uh, So I have no issues with the limp. Uh, Ivy's raise also seems pretty standard. His hand's strong enough to isolate versus the limp uh, and get a little bit more money in the pot.
0: I'm fine with both pre-flop decisions here. Jackson goes ahead and calls, and now we have a flop of Jack of Hearts, Jack of clubs, seven of clubs. So paired Jack with a flush draw, Ivy c-bets 80K into 176. Thoughts on his c-bet sizing here? Uh, I think it's it's quite a bit too large,
1: uh, but I think that's with the luxury of, of modern-day knowledge versus back then. Uh, so I'd be looking to bet 45 to 60K. I think betting is fine. Uh, Ivy will have plenty of jacks. He's got a backdoor flush draw. He blocks some of the opponent's jacks, which is also good. So it seems fine, just a little bit smaller on the bet size.
0: And in Ivy's defense, this is actually probably a small bet for back then. <laughs> they they tended to go ahead and fire like 66 to 75% of the pot on their C bet. So Ivy is even still with a little bit, Larger than our liking, still is on the smaller side for his day, which is typical Phil Ivey. He's ahead of the curve, even back in 2005, 15 years ago. So we have questionable decision number one. Action Jackson, true to his name, opts to go ahead and raise it to 170k. Here, there's about 250k in the pot, so he's risking 170 to win 250. What are your thoughts on raising it up here with a 5 and a 6? Well, I, I think
1: <laughs> I think it's not a, a good decision. Um, you would want to have an aggressive raising range here because, again, you do have plenty of jacks, so you are going to have enough hands to raise here. That being said, I would rather take a hand like 10-9 uh, that does have a gutter, it does block jacks, to go ahead and choose to raise here. And I don't know that I would essentially min-click raise it back. The price you're giving IB is absolutely insane. And it's something I see recreational players do a lot. And I just end up never folding a single hand when they use a size like this because the price
0: is too good. I think that against a certain player, this raise sizing may not be the worst. Against Phil Ivy, it's probably not going to end super well. Phil Ivy, like you just said, he's going to continue super wide. So it's not going to accomplish what we want it to accomplish. He's not just going to fire here and then fold with a high, frequ- high enough frequency for it to be good. Ivy goes ahead and re-raises it to 320K. So now he's risking 320K. To win about 500k. What are your thoughts on Ivy's bet three bet here?
1: So, I think what's probably going on is both players recognize how wide the other is. Uh, Ivy in, is probably in this day, C betting everything on this flop, and Jackson's trying to take advantage of that. And Ivy, being a complete sicko, is also in that leveling war and realizes Jackson's probably doing the same thing and is just re-raising him, or he has some sort of live tell where he knows that Jackson just doesn't have it. Uh, In terms of theory, there's not really much justification here. And again, I I don't like the, the price you're laying your opponent.
0: The missing component here, I think, is what is Jackson's range from Phil Ivey's perspective? Has Jackson shown a tendency to slow play his big hands over the course of this tournament. We don't have access to this knowledge, but if Ivy is thinking that Jackson is not going to raise a seven, so we can rule that out, right? Like Jackson is really just not raising a seven that often. Maybe Jackson has some flush draws, but if he's likely to open the flush draws, maybe he doesn't have many of those either. You know, his suited club type of hands. So this leads Jack X for... Mr. Jackson. And if Ivy just doesn't believe that Jack X is gonna gonna raise here and he's more weighted to just his air balls, it seems like a decent spot for Ivy to take a take a shot, invest a little bit more to fold out a wide range while also not investing so much that you know you just get you just get owned by the Jack X's if they are raising here so ivy goes ahead and puts in the raise and now mr action jackson living up to his name re-raises to 470k so he clicks it once again what what are we thinking now on bet number four on the flop i i don't think i have anything too much to add at this
1: point it's the exact same dilemma (laughs) as before uh and if you're that confident that he's bluffing at this point, I, I mean, I'm just going to put all the money in. We have six high. If, if he does the same thing back to us, we can't call it off, even if we think he's bluffing. So let's let's put in the bet, and and then Phil Ivy can't call if he has queen
0: high. But I would just fold. Yes, I think folding is obviously going to be the more standard line. However, I think the reasoning for Jackson's re-raise is such that with ICM considerations – Maybe he thinks Ivy can have jacks on occasion like Jack X, but what kind of sicko is going to put in the fifth bet here in this raising war with a bluff? And if you think Ivy's capable of bluffing with his bet three bet, then you don't want to put it all in, get snapped off by a Jack and and that be that, right? So if you don't think Phil Ivy is going to be bet five betting, then maybe just putting in this fourth bet, leaving yourself with about 500k, so that you're not risking your whole tournament, is an okay strategy. It's it's almost like these guys are just playing chicken with each other, and who's going to blink first? Unfortunately for Action Jackson, Phil Ivey's one of the greatest that's ever done it. So Phil Ivey goes ahead, puts in whatever bet this is, the fifth or sixth bet at this point, I can't even count it, and jams it in with his queen high, which is ironically the best hand. But basically, we just have to think that Ivy knows Jackson isn't taking this line with Jack X. That Jackson's going to start calling at some point and let Ivy continue to bluff on the Turner River. So when he just keeps raising and re-raising, really, he just doesn't have a value range here. I mean, this is what Ivy has to be thinking. There's nothing else that he could be thinking, right? Well, it's also possible that
1: uh, you you mentioned... Earlier that Jackson might not take this line with a jack, but going back to pre-flop, maybe he's only been limping very weak hands and doesn't actually even have a jack in his range pre-flop that takes this line. And so, if that's the case,
0: this gets a little bit better. With that said, it could be that he doesn't even take a good jack, right? A jack that you would want to bet three-bet, like king jack or ace jack. So he's capped at a hand like jack deuce. So if he's capped at jack deuce and those hands aren't going to be bet three-betting or check raise for betting or whatever it is just because they don't get called or they don't get action from the bluffs that they would want to then yeah it's just it's a game of chicken and ivy's got more chips in him and ivy's a sicko who's just not backing down and sticks it in and you know jackson folds ivy has his queen high the legend grows spoiler alert Jackson does not win this tournament. (laughs) Ivy Ivy takes it down in short order afterwards. Jackson looked pretty deflated after Ivy stuck stuck the last bet in. And uh, that'll conclude Phil Ivy Day on the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. Thank you very much for watching this episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. If you would like to level up your bluffing game, don't miss the Bluffing Masterclass this Saturday at 3 p.m. There's a link in the description tab of this podcast, or you can just head directly to ChasingPokerGreatness.com. In my view, it's an awesome way to support your favorite podcast as well as leveling up your bluffing game. It's going to pay for itself many, many times over. 100% money back guarantee if you are disappointed in the contents of the webinar. So check that out, chasingpokergreatness.com, and I will see you next time.